Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast, where we're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I am Matthew Welch from Evolution Recruiting Solutions, and I help businesses connect with top talent. Talent. And today, I am your host. So to start off, shall we go to you, Bav? I would go for Maria first. <laughs> it's a oh, we don't write in. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, hi, my name is Maria Lazasane. If you can pronounce surname, my surname, then uh, you know, high five to you. Um, so I'm a head of products at Just Eat Takeaway, um, and I have over 15 years of experience in product management and product leadership. Um, in uh, Just Eat Takeaway, uh, my teams are responsible for building the best in-class uh, customer support experience in our products across all of our Just Eat Takeaway markets. So that is um, a lot of markets in Europe, uh, UK and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, Buff, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Rio, uh, for that intro. Uh, yeah, great to be here. First and foremost, I'm Buff Kordlai. Um I'm based in Cardiff, in sunny Cardiff, not. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am a product consultant um, recently, well, last couple of days, we, uh, I've become a co-founder, uh, CPO um, of a stealth mode company. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it because stealth mode, there's a reason for it. Um, I, uh, um, I'm super passionate about building products that really are transformative. Uh, for the users, but more sure so for the businesses too, because without one or the other, you don't have a good product. Um, my background is I'm, I'm a computer scientist. I've got a co computer uh, uh, science uh, engineering degree. I've started my career as a software developer, technical, and gradually pivoted to more product role sort of uh, positions, um, which I love, and I think uh, more people need to think about how do we how we build products that really make a difference in the world. Um, from the perspective of also my career spans out in different verticals, from banking to energy to healthcare to uh, managing consulting too. So it's it's a pretty much a broader perspective on my career. Uh, trajectory so far in my career arc. So with that, with, with that further ado, I just I, I look forward to hearing um, uh, various, you know, go, uh, thoughts about you know, current topics that we will discuss, and, and I can't wait to get into that. Fantastic, thank you, both. Appreciate that. And on to you, Ben. Uh, I'd like to say something. I save the best till last, but that's absolutely not true. Um, can I just say, yeah, thanks, Rob, for organising this. It's great to, to catch up um, with such an esteemed group of people. Um, so, yeah, my name's Ben Shipwelly. Um, most recently, uh, what I should start with, actually, is uh, I also used to work for Just Eat. Although Barry and I never had the pleasure of working together, unfortunately. So, But I'm, I'm super interested in catching up. Uh, so I was as head of fintech and payments, um, head of product and technology at Just Eat. Um, went on to become their platform delivery director, um, and most recently I was chief product and tech officer at Sally Sag West. Uh, started post Series B sort of tech econ fulfillment startup called Abu Technologies, 
Um, I think if any of your listeners are in and around the sort of Bristol, Bath, Southwest area, you probably can't help but seeing something <laughs> to do with Habu, whether or not you knew what they did or not, but um, actually they invested a huge amount in their tech. My role there was really to do two things, was to sort of grow them from a quite a startup product to tech functioning to be more of a more of a mature, scaled organization and, and help Habu wider business get the most out of their uh, product and tech function. Um, uh, and, I, and I think that's really probably segues beautifully into where my passion lies. I, I love, um, my role there was combined CPO, CTO position. So I love getting that all working really harmoniously together and um, and getting, yes, it can be done, product people and engineers to really unite and work well together. Um, but also really making sure that good product delivery answers business outcomes. Um, because I think sometimes that's probably one of the most challenging bits, and that's the bit um, that I'm, I'm kind of most passionate about. So really interested to, to hear from Marie and Bath uh, on some of this a bit later as well. Fantastic, and thanks for that as well, Ben. So um, to be fair, um, it's quite of a smooth um, tr- transition, and because we'll go to you first, Ben, to put your question um, to the panel. So um, yeah. That'd be great, cheers. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, I wasn't expecting to go first, but uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> right, so my question is this. I think, um, yeah, I just touched on this a minute ago when I was talking about kind of where my passion lies. I think there's there's a huge amount of information and discussion online about how to build high-performing uh, product teams, how to uh, deliver a real product value to customers. Um, but in many businesses, the, the business objectives don't necessarily 100% align with cust- uh, customer delight and customer value. Um, and there's perhaps less information out there and it's perhaps talked about slightly less. The the interplay between how you balance delivering great value to customers and customer product value with how you uh, align that to business objectives of the company within which you're working. And um, sometimes they align brilliantly. Um, sometimes they can be antagonistic and sometimes it's really difficult to draw a, a line between the two. Um, and so I'm, I guess I'm interested to know what experience the other guys on the panel have of that and uh, what their thoughts are. This is actually a very relevant topic for the area that I'm in at the moment. Um, so what my teams do is a little bit has this duality uh, because on one hand we are focusing on customer uh, support experience in the product. And at the same time, um, our area is very much linked to business performance. So the way we look at it from customer experience perspective is that generally you order food on just a takeaway, um, one of our platforms and uh, the restaurant gets the order, they cook the food, uh, the courier picks it up and delivers to your door. Uh, and that's a happy pass. But unfortunately, um, restaurants are not perfect, couriers are not perfect, uh, jet is not perfect. There are uh, issues and mistakes and problems with the orders. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone uh, orders online food at least once. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't come on time. Sometimes it, it is not cooked to perfection. Sometimes the item is missing. Um, and this is where um, the product that my teams are responsible for come into play. So when we fail customers' expectation on the product, we want to make sure that they're uh, at least uh, getting the best uh, customer support uh, experience and customer service experience. 
Um, but at the same time, any uh, any contact, customer contact does cost as money as a business. So there should be someone on the other end that looks at the problem um, and uh, then uh, looks at the policy, uh, make sure that the customer is treated according to this po policy, whether it's a refund or voucher or something else. Um, and there's constant uh, challenge there, like how, how we balance, because uh, yes, of course, all customers would love 100% refund, but um, A, is it uh, um, always reasonable to uh, give 100% refund? Uh, um, sometimes it is, sometimes maybe um, a partial refund um, uh, is still a fair way to compensate customers for their troubles. Um, like how much uh, uh, time uh, should we spend on supporting the customer? Like can this issue wait and be um, picked up in a cheaper way or uh, should be um, a chat and interaction with an agent and that would be more costly? And there's a very simple solution to that problem and that would be to switch off all the support. We don't have support, we don't have any cost to the business, right? But we know very well what that would mean uh, for customer experience. Of course, we're not even remotely considering that option. Um, and the answer to your question, Ben, is it's, it's genuinely difficult, right? So when the reality of uh, the business numbers kicks in, uh, we have to balance uh, the majority um, um, of uh, the customer experience with the product with some edge cases that then need uh, more expensive resolution or need to be treated differently. The uh, ways we're uh, uh, addressing that is A, we try to automate as much as possible without um, compromising customer experience and just go in line uh, with the, the insight that we have that actually customers not always want to talk to us and they just want to their uh, issue to be resolved quickly and fairly. Um, and that opens a lot of opportunities in automation space for us, uh, which we're constantly pursuing. Um, and then there's, of course, an element of uh, testing and just uh, trying uh, different uh, approaches. And we work very closely with our business stakeholders on compensation policies and thinking through how those things may affect uh, groups of customers. Um, but then, yeah, just trying things and seeing um, compensation versus uh, CSAT uh, versus reorder rate, like how, how can we balance it in the uh, best possible way? But um, I totally agree with you. That's probably, you know, the dark side of the customer-centric experience. At the end of the day, uh, business needs to grow and generate uh, money and profit. And um, if it doesn't do that, then uh, everyone will have a problem in the company. Absolutely. I, I think that's really interesting. So uh, your, your answer where it just kind of leads me on to, you know, I was considering this at like the macro level at the, you know, ultimately the, the whole marketplace is a product and, you know, is, is delivering the, the most choice or the, uh, the richest experience or whatever it is for the customer. Is that aligned to, you know, just these, you know, business objectives, commercial objectives, you know, success as a, success as a company but actually what you touched on there is this is probably even more so true at the micro level at the you know just how do we provide the best possible customer service i mean can i ask a follow-up question i'm interested to know do you um 
in your particular case around kind of customer service, do you, is that seen within the business as a value proposition or more of a kind of commodity around which you want to drive down the kind of unit cost of, of customer interaction and, and, and things like that? Um, so definitely customer satisfaction is one of the biggest priorities that we have um, as a business, but we also need to think of our partners uh, as our customers, our couriers also as uh, uh, maybe customer is not quite the right word, but uh, they're also our uh, stakeholders. So uh, when we talk about customer satisfaction, uh, we quite often think of all those groups. Um, uh, we have a very customer centric CEO. Uh, so he uh, uh, pays a lot of attention on uh, to how we're treating customers, especially in the customer support uh, journeys. Uh, so definitely it's one of the uh, biggest priorities uh, that we have, just making sure that everything we build and offer um, creates that custom value. Like at no point we can drop that value with anything else that we do. Uh, but I, well, I think what you were quite rightly touching uh, upon there is if it's not built into objectives, uh, it becomes a very slippery s slope, right? Like if there is no um, executive level priority around creating a great customer experience with the product. It is very easy to go down the uh, profitability, uh, suboptimal experience route. And it's ultimately super important that people talk about this as priority on all levels, which does exist at Justin. Yeah, totally. Totally. Do you feel like your um, your objectives and you know, your OKRs or your KPIs or whatever you're measuring are aligned with what you, you mentioned Yitzer? Yeah. Do you think they're aligned with what Yitzer wants out of the the customer support function? Well, like, is, are those two success criteria aligned? I suppose. I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> I would really hope to think that way. Yes, I would really hope to think that way. Uh, but you know. I think just saying that would be maybe simplifying the picture a bit too much. But of course, there are a lot of areas where uh, we're looking at things from both sides and uh, their arguments uh, in the, towards uh, supporting certain solutions as uh, solutions that do give more value, that, that create an even better experience versus then the realistic cost of supporting those solutions and like drawing the line somewhere uh, where we know we may uh, be losing a few percentage points in Seaside, but we know ultimately it's a, it's a more sustainable uh, commercial approach to things. But I guess there's, you know, a threshold under which you would not allow yourself to go as, um, uh, as products or um, as business. Um, and of course, they're, uh, never is a hundred percent score as well. So you end up somewhere in between trying to uh, optimize uh, for the best balance. That is the reality. You know, I, I, I would totally lie to you if I say that does not exist. But we're all friends here. So, you know, we're honest with each other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But are you ready to jump in? I am indeed. Um, well, Ben has asked a billion dollar question. Um, that's really how important that question is. And I think, you know, going back to your original question, what is the winning product and, uh, you know, and how do you balance 
you know, customer delights and and and, and commercial success of that product. I think really is a um, a tricky a tricky uh, 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 balance, but it has to be a balance because a winning product by default is any product that really meets uh, the bare minimum expectation of a user, um, and that could be as simple as that defined. But in the context of really de- definition versus the real world, it's such a you know a, 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 a big gap. Uh, and I think often my experience in some of those challenges, and we face those what positions we have, um, it's basically going back to the the um, the basics and, and and having some frank conversations with with um, executives, uh, you know, um, whether they are um, commercial directors or whether they are CFOs or whether you know, and have those conversations. Really, what are we we striving for here? What are the commercial what are the you know what does its commercial success looks like and and where do we draw that line um and then from there you have to work things backwards um it's a balance um every product needs to be profitable um but that that is some sometimes a big trade-off uh you can be prof, profitable but you can have very bad experience now which which are out of the two is crucial to the business continuity is it short-term vision versus long-term, or is it a case of you know um, saying, "Look, this is what what we can, um, what are the do's and don'ts," um, and so long as we agree and be aligned on what could be delivered, measured, and delivered, I think that's the balance we all need to 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 get to. But it's it's a very challenging one because you have people. In, in organizations that look at numbers and numbers is everything to them and they don't quite really you know see what what happens in the front front line um and that's often those challenges that are day to day um and it's you know for my experiences i i really have suffered to get that balance and uh in a few cases i i had to really put my case forward to say hey these are the options we need to make um, and we need to really look at the the holistic picture of what our customers also need and what needs we need to met meet for the customers too. I don't know if that answered the question, but yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one. Yeah, that's great. And I and I I just love the fact that you use the the word holistic. Uh, anyone who used to work with me, Justy in particular, will probably listen to this and cheer at that word because it is my favourite word. Um, you mentioned, um, I just wanted to pick up on kind of one, but you said, you talked about balance, so I completely agree. Like inevitably, I think it is it is a really difficult balance and we can, you know, as product leaders, it's our job to lift the lid on the, the inner workings of product and what this product value can mean for business outcomes and, and commercial outcomes and business growth and so on. But I'm just wondering, like, how, how difficult in your experience about do you think it is to get business objectives and product you know customer value objectives that are truly aligned yeah it's um <laughs> yeah i i wish it was again um uh, simple to uh deal with that but the reality is this in 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 most cases biz if you ask businesses okay what are your objectives um you know whether it's um you know quarterly or or whether it's uh, you know annually often is the case they don't know and that's where you need to work on and, and start to 
to really build some, um, you know, um, some options for them. Um, and you have to work and shape those um, KPIs really, because uh, often, or in some cases where, you know, I wanted to participate, um, I was not, you know, I, I did not essentially feel that my opinion really uh, was um, taken into consideration. Um, but at times that I did, when I did, and I was received well to have those conversations, I I saw that there is a, a massive synergy and alignment from the top, and that trickles down very nicely. And um, and often is the case here. You have to shape that because if you do not have any power to shape that, then hmm, you basically are are being handed over a an unrealistic expectations from a get go, and you are set, set up to fail. Uh, and, and because you will be measured by what has been cooked. And um, the question is, do you want to do that? Or do you want to really be frank and, and, and have those difficult conversations from the get go? Um, I have learned over the years to really have those difficult, difficult, difficult conversations or helpful, frank conversations. Um, and also look at inwards, what, what capabilities we have, um, are our teams up to the level they need to be? Do they need upskilling? Do they have the tools to really do their job effectively? Um, and, and, and that does matter because if you, if that system under delivering, uh, those objectives, commercial objectives is not, uh, ready, um, then <laughs> you will be ready they, they will be pretty much, um, firefighting, um, things are not gonna go well and, and the outcomes are going to be what um, the business wants um, too. So, and ultimately all this gets to a point where you build the wrong propositions, you build the wrong products, and therefore you will see that maybe not straight immediately, but in, in, in a few quarters coming, you will have a lot of um, users who will turn and will go somewhere else. I'm just wondering here, uh, like there, we're talking about uh, um... An alignment across the work um, under same objectives that those objectives uh, need to be well defined on executive level. Um, I wonder if you have experienced or observed in your career situations when uh, there's certain decisions made um, by leaders, by business leaders. Uh, they may be a bit aspirational, they may be a bit visionary, but they have a goal of moving business. Uh, business to a certain place um, and then what happens is that this um, decision is cascaded to product and tech team uh, saying like well can you guys look at this and uh, implement this decision that we made but there may be not a lot of realization at that top level of how exactly this decision will impact different groups of customers um, and um, uh, how harming that decision could be. Um, and in my practice, there's only that much time that teams get to respond to that with uh, data or research to say, well, actually, uh, this is what may happen. Th those are the potential dangers. Um, quite often, we just don't get time to do that. Um, 
what what would you say are the best approaches in handling those conversations around the concerns uh, that the teams may have? Like, what what would be your tips? How how to manage that situation where there's a gap um, on all levels, seeing through how certain things may be impacting the customer experience and customer loyalty. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? I think um, I think that there's kind of like a two part answer here for me. One is I think it's, and it happens a lot, um, I think when you find yourself in that situation for me, or at least historically when I found myself in that situation where you've got, um, you know, the CEO, the the execs, uh, the board, um, <clears throat> just saying, like, we think this is the right way to take the business. Um, and it seems, you know, uh, you know, to not be supported by the current product strategy or the way that, that you were taking the product, the product vision, what have you. So, so I think, you know, whenever that's happened before, it's normally because there's, there's some kind of like misalignment or misunderstanding or, you know, the, the product community, the product leadership community and the execs are just not talking the same language. I think, you know, there's, there's an interplay issue there. Um, and so I think, you know, in order to fix that, um, we need to, as product leaders, spend more time lifting the lid and help and coaching and educating and helping business leaders. I'm going to say product leaders, business leaders to try and just kind of obfuscate the particular roles because they might be different in each business. But um, product leaders, we need to spend more time outward facing because I think it's really easy for us to be so focused on the product strategy, the roadmap, the OKRs, the everyone spend less time kind of you know broadcasting. I think we need to spend more time with businesses to help them understand, you know, what what that means, what they're asking for, why why things manifest in the way they do. Having said that, you know, we should always listen to our business leaders uh, in the businesses that we're in because they're there for a reason. And and certainly in your case, Maria, uh, it's very successful. Uh, found the CEO, and so you know, he knows what he's doing, right? So we should absolutely take note of what he's saying. Um, so how you know tips for for helping your teams do that but for me it's like I, I would double down on the um you know business leaders in their chosen domain have experience that maybe we're not aware of um and perhaps more experienced than some some product managers within the team maybe and um, of course that, that might not be uh, wholly true um but i also think you know for me this comes down to experimentation like we shouldn't be afraid to as product managers, even if we're given an idea, whether it's a, I just need you to deal with this or whether or not it's any, Hey, let's give this a go. Um, and our, you know, I think, I think it's really risky for product leaders and product managers to sit and say, no, I know that's not going to work. We might feel like it's not going to work, but for me, product, you know, it's, it's all about iteration. It's all about experimentation. So we should be willing to try things in a controlled framework and, you know, look for our results. And so I think it's about that for me. It's, it, there's, there's probably two issues there. I hope I've done a, a good job of explaining what I mean. No, no, definitely. That resonates a lot with me. Thank you, Ben. And just in terms there of um, the cost of scaling up, that was something in particular you was um, concerned about uh, when we spoke Maria too. Um, so just um, in terms of that, what were your initial thoughts on the cost of scaling up from the perspective of a product, like a director or a global head of product from your perspective? I can clarify my question maybe a little bit. Um, sure. 
you know, all, all uh, early stage startups, they dream of scale, right? That they, they just want to grow, 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 grow. Um, and in my experience working for various uh, uh, size companies is that um, when you're a, a growing startup at an early stage, you tend to throw and see what sticks. You just try, try, try things. Uh, you don't necessarily think of uh, sustainability, uh, you, uh, not sustainability in the way of um, uh, corporate social responsibility, but more like like how uh long term your solutions are you just need to make sure that uh you capture the market that you hit certain targets so and a lot of time you will cut corners you will cut corners in the products you will cut corners uh in technology choices that you're making um then um at a later stage quite often businesses will go through acquisitions so then you just acquire different businesses and try to uh, stick them all together or platforms or parts of solutions that takes you to build. And then you achieve, you know, this desired state of a big company going into IPO, but you definitely accumulate a lot of debt. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, what's your experience of dealing um, uh, with those situations and looking back and thinking, okay, well, we've produced suboptimal solutions for a very long time where is the point of time where we just uh, start investing into rebuilding certain parts of the products or certain technologies and then how do you balance it with continuous growth so i'd love to hear a bit more about that from you guys um ben do you want to start you were nodding and i feel like that resonates with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure no it absolutely resonates um interesting so uh, you know i've been through um and my during my time at just eat as well right really uh, i was there during the merger between just eat and takeaway.com and and you know multiple different platforms different acquisitions over time and and so on but the same is true of any um, you know, of, of any company, I suppose, in that growth phase. It's interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, that that whether or not we call it technical debt or product debt or value debt or, or whatever it is, I think it's inevitable to some degree. I think as, as product leaders, the most we can do is to try and reduce that or minimize the, in, you know, the impactfulness of that as much as possible. I sort of think, though, that has what have I learned over the years? I've I've kind of learned never put something off until tomorrow that you can do today. Um, so so many times we've sat and thought, well, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna uh, integrate or combine those acquired systems today because you know in two months' time we'd have done this and it'll be easier and whatever. Right. That Thailand, I'm trying to find a single instance of where that's actually happened and been the right decision. And so I feel like generally speaking we should be finding ways to to bring let's call it platform health technical debt product debt or whatever it is into our day-to-day -day. now i'm never a massive fan of the hey here's my here's my iteration here's my sprint let's spend 50 percent on new features and 20 percent on technical debt and 30 percent on you know things like that. i'm never a big fan of that um i've always dealt with this as most as possible only coming back to my favorite word and that's being as holistic as possible by what we're calling product value um and and by bringing you know engineering concerns business objectives customer value all together 
to form a, a holistic definition of what product value means against which we can measure what we do, then you can start to attribute some some sort of richer context, perhaps, behind typically and historically things that would be considered, you know, uh, engineer work or, you know, uh, .NET upgrades and, you know, integration upgrades and, and things like that. Um, I'll, I'll just say one more piece of this. Anyone who knows me and has worked with me will know that I try my best to live by this, and that's that I strongly believe that every single thing that touches, impacts, and contributes to your product performance or otherwise should be the remit of the product manager. It should come under their scope and uh, um, and uh, what they're what they're considering in, in their position. So I think that that acquisition, that debt, whether it be technical or product, should be just considered at all times against a holistic product value definition. Easily said, perhaps not as easily done, right? I guess there's a huge amount of challenge there, but 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 it's about understanding the true value of some of this stuff and, and what we're actually putting off. And I think very often because it tends to be technical in nature, it's not an area that's most comfortable for a lot of product managers to operate in. If I can just add into that, I mean, uh, Maria, you, you, again, you raised a very interesting um, point there when you said about the scaling, the cost of scaling um, products. Often it goes back to this, right? Uh, every product, again, is it's born um, as something, but then it morphs into different shapes and it takes, you know, it's beyond recognition if you go to the, from, you know, a product that, Yes, you've got a product market fit. You are you you are serving a, you know your target audience well, you know, and yet their needs are met, the baseline needs. But humanly, we have a tendency to add more things to things, um, and we never have or we never stop and ask ourselves basic questions: Do we really need to add more things to the product that is actually working, and it's got a uh, it's actually bringing value to the users and therefore of course uh, link to that to the business um and it just you know it we need to know what that product identity is and and, and remain within the uh, the sort of uh tracks of you know what 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 the the, the true value uh, that product actually gives to the customers now just of recently, I read a, a, an, an interesting article that even the, the likes of Airbnb are going through this transition right now. Um, they've gone through all different stages, and yet their founding team has realized that they are going to they are going to re uh, really bring back the whole platform back to basics, back to what actually originally used to be. Now that is a journey and a half uh, because. You could lose track of what that product will become in when you get to the stage of growth because it's not much in your hands. If you're raising venture capital, you have targets to hit. And you need to grow fast and you grow in all different directions. It's like it's like weeds, you know, in, in the garden that starts in one place, but suddenly you see that in the next week or two it has reached the other side too. And it spreads it spreads everywhere. And it's it's going back to basics. I think, you know, more often than not, that's the answer. But of course, that itself is a challenge to do. I don't know if that added much to the uh, 
So your question, yeah, that's um, a way to think about it. Oh, definitely. That's actually super interesting. It's like if we look at our products that we manage right now, when we scale the market, are there like bells and whistles that we actually don't need that not do anything? I think that's a very healthy approach. That's suddenly a technique that, uh, I mean, think of um, as of, you know, something I may want to do with the teams in the future, just, you know, maybe analyze a little bit more, like w what is the stuff that we don't need that we can just get rid of? I, I think that's a very healthy thing to do. Uh, very interesting experiment. Uh, but Buff, if you wouldn't mind sharing that article with us after that, I I'd love to read it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, the, the more we read about those, because those challenges are there, you know, it's of course, uh, it's of, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it's it's how we contextualized to where you are at, where those challenges within your company lies, and how you can also you know simplify your narrative um, and bring it to the core. What is our product, and what why don't we ask those questions often? You know, we have something that is truly valuable. Yes, great, but then with the features we add every single sprint, we actually complicating the product further and further and further. And often we don't, you know, we want to throw more in than take out. And I think, uh, I profoundly believe that, uh, the a product that really is, um, unique in the marketplace, it's simple at core and it serves, uh, not all potential to your, your customer segment well, but your core, uh, uh, users well and i think that is where you need to remain uh, but that of course you know other people have different thoughts about that because um often products that are built for a target audience they want to take it to the next target audiences and next target audiences and, and then you know they will have different needs and meet and and, and and to meet so it's it's it becomes more convoluted uh, uh altogether yeah i, I mean uh, it's a super interesting example but if i um, you know, it's the more is not always more uh, conversation, is it? And for them to, for Airbnb, that is, to take not just at a sort of, you know, sub-product function functionality level to kind of sunset features or, or you know, whatever the terminology we want to use is part of the product lifecycle, but for them to really go back to basics on their entire platform, their entire product, is a not only a um, unbelievably bold choice, and you know, kudos to, to to these guys, but for doing that. But it also says to me that they they really understand their product. And I absolutely, and you know, you know, it's it's they know what they they built. They understand the market deeply well. But of course, there are the precious shoes, you know, that they feel, and and often is the case that as a co-founding team. If you raise millions of millions venture capital, you have power, but you don't have power to, you know, make decisions like that. You come to a point where your product is starting to mature, and then you realize, wow, you know, it's let's look at it from a fresh perspective. Let's look at it from a different, you know, optics. And I think that is where every product needs to be looked at. Um, and you know, more often than not, but we don't do these things. No, we don't. No, we don't. You're absolutely right. You've touched on a point, which is that every single product lifestyle diagram, product lifecycle diagram, and it has at the end, you know, 
deprecate feature, sunset feature, whatever, you know, what, what are you turning off? Um, and I think we're probably all guilty of not embracing that because it's the mo- it's difficult, as, as you pointed out, Beth. I, I, you know, I've been definitely guilty of not sunsetting features within my products. <laughs> um, and it's something we should focus on more for sure. So the scaling is new scaling, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the danger, and I, you know, where where I sort of, you know, obviously agree with what uh, Bath is getting at there is that there's, you know, um, we need to, like, for me anyway, we need to consider the product at multiple levels, the micro and the macro, so that that kind of, you know, within customer service, what functionality do we have, how do we, how do we evolve that, how do we sunset functionality, how do we bring new functionality, and so on. But we also need to, like, at the Airbnb level, we need to consider it at the macro level. The sum total of all the products is the product is the total product for the for the business and for the company. So, so I sort of think um, we need to consider this at, at all levels. And I think the danger is back point today. Now that he's back, he can uh, he can hinge a bit. Is that you know you just want to grow and grow and grow, target more customers, add more value, and and then all of a sudden you're on a road to trying to be everything for everybody. Um, and that those products are never that successful. What an interesting turn of the conversation. I totally didn't expect that when I had this question in mind. But yeah, I feel like we unlocked something, something really important here. Thank you, guys. Fantastic. So on to the final question. Bav, um, have you got it there to put to the panel? Yeah, and actually this this kind of leads very nicely on 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 your experiences. I'm 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 keen to hear on the um exploring um you know products that really has had the value um uh, for users but somehow there are products that are unloved in the in the context of product suites that companies have built over the years um how do you reinvigorate those products back again and yet how do you re- reposition them to e- extend that lifeline and perhaps um you know reach their full potential that are meant to in the market that you are focusing on that's the question it's how do you uh, reinvigorate products that are underperforming because of lack of love and other things that go with it what are your experiences yeah it's a very good question right like uh, the question is why exactly they are underperforming so is it the question of they just don't have product market fit in general and then you probably don't want to invest into them any further. Uh, is the question that actually they started as a good idea, but they were not developed enough to achieve any product market fit. And then you would consider them as potential stars. And then you would look at how you want to invest into them. Like, well, where is there that you need to adjust the products towards market requirements and um how it can be more desirable by customers you know is there something around pricing of this product or maybe uh your sales channels with this product maybe it just didn't pick up because of uh, a low marketing investment um so i guess it just goes back to the question of um, um why it has been uh, in a poor state it also may be in that the technology didn't catch up with it uh, yet i remember we were working on uh, uh, some mobile uh, loyalty cards, and our biggest problem was just the technology with small match and wasn't there to um, 
actually give uh, a mobile phone stamp to a customer and all we had uh, to work with was on paper and that was not the route that we wanted to take so we just had to wait for a few years until the technology caught up um so it's all yeah it all just goes back to the question what is exactly happening uh, with the proposition and uh, with the market and uh, is there uh, is there a demand and is there a capability to support this product ben what do you think Oh, I was, I was, I was kind of scribbling some thoughts there while you were talking. Never a face for giving me some time. That's, that's, uh, that's really good. No, I, I, I agree. I don't know with everything that you've said. I think in, in my experience, this, uh, I've ended up in this situation, or I've seen this happen in, in kind of two different scenarios. Um, one is where a product has uh, been taken to market, um, and I, and I won't go into kind of details of what, which, which products and which markets and which businesses, but products have been taken to market that um, thought in the beginning that they were going to answer a particular question only to find later on that the product had evolved in such a way the original question, you know, did, didn't need didn't need answering effectively. So you, you sort of end up in this, well, I've got something, it feels like it should be useful to somebody, but I'm not hundred percent certain it doesn't feel like it's really resonating with that original kind of customer segment that we thought um, or we just haven't we just haven't answered the question that relates to that customer segment properly so so there's just some mismatch really that this stopping that kind of yeah this is a great product but is it a, is it a fantastic product is it really high performing people yeah do people really want it um the second scenario is that the, the value definition for that product is is kind of confused. It's like it's trying to do um, something that doesn't really appeal, and, and I guess it's similar, but but slightly different to the first example. Like um, a product that's trying to encompass two different customer segments that perhaps it's not really fulfilling the need or demand for either of those, but it's sort of pitched in the middle, thinking that you can kind of capitalize on both of those customer segments or those uh, those markets, but actually really what we're doing is is kind of confusing it and it's it is not really speaking to either. So it's not really performing. And so I think in in to a certain extent the solution to both of those is is the same, which is that you really need to kind of double down on who like what what question, what problem are you solving with this product? And then how are you measuring the success of that? Because I think it's either a compromise somewhere in both of those scenarios, be it who you're targeting and what you're trying to do for them, or the way you're measuring the success of how you're answering the, the problem for those customers. Um, that those are the sort of two scenarios that I've I've seen before. Um, of course, like you know, I'm a big fan of the Kano um, model, and so so it may just be that you know over time the product just hasn't kept up with you know customer delight factors um and you know whether that be tech debt issue whether it be a product debt issue whether it be um the customer the market the customer segment has just moved on in their expectation and you haven't kept pace with that um i guess it could be could be that as well then in the question bath sorry yeah absolutely i mean both uh, uh super valuable insights and, and these are some of the strategies that you know um often would determine whether uh, that product that has been doing okay in the part in in, in, in the past 
may still have some some value, but again, it's it's down to all those factors and uh, all all those variables that go from market analysis to uh, reevaluating the product on you know and the weaknesses, strengths, and, and and what what may have changed, and you know look at other potential strategies on how you re rebrand even um, and and reposition that that product. So absolutely, those are so you know. So insightful from from your perspectives. So thank you. No worries. Can I can I ask a follow up question of you, Beth? I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts as well because you're you're obviously massively experienced in this area. Like how you know, finding yourself in a situation where you have a product that's underperforming and needs reviving is one thing, but like ideally none of us want to be in that position, I guess. So so like what what are your thoughts on and really uh, you sort of like. What are your thoughts on how you how you can identify that you're headed in that direction with your products before you get there, ideally? It's it's an interesting one. Well, uh, I assume we around any product we have certain performance um, um, indicators, right? So it can be the revenue generated by the product, it can be the number of users that are using the product. So um, I guess it can be two scenarios, either. The product was launched, but it's just not picking up over uh, a certain period of time. We may have certain expectations uh, um, at the beginning defined as uh, uh, success. Uh, and if we're not seeing the product achieving uh, those results, then we'll start asking questions. What exactly is happening? And uh, we'll uh, research uh, the product market fit side. Uh, are we doing the right thing? Is the value proposition uh, um, Decide by our customers, uh, or then we may explore uh, the commercial side of things. So once again, uh, how is the product marketed and sold? Um, and I guess by doing those two things, we will start seeing um, potential issue candidates, right? That then we will explore further. So I guess this continuous monitoring of performance and having um, a good idea of what success looks like uh, prevents us from keeping uh, the underperforming products in the portfolio for too long. I also share the same um, uh, um, thoughts as, as Maria. And uh, from my perspective, um, I've been in a couple of situations where I have to come in and, and look at the whole portfolio products and try to really uh, segmentize those products and and make sense of what those suites of products they had uh, and where really uh, the cash cow is versus the stars and what's coming next. Uh, and so often is the case, uh, going back to earlier, uh, our earlier conversation, that companies forget about certain things that they have, uh, and yet they they want more, uh, they want to chase bells and whistles uh, and that's more more current now than ever before with um, with the um, you know Chat G- GPT and and m- many other sort of sort of technologies that are evolving. Uh, everyone is talking about them. Uh, yet you know there, there are some use cases for for it. So so again, going back to um, revamping your product uh, and creating more value for users and therefore for business, it's down to really knowing uh, what what are those you know, capabilities that that product has still, um, how, how the market has shifted, how, um, how the customer's behavior have changed because the reality is, are they not going to be, uh, constantly, um, 
those behaviors are going to shift. Uh, and, and we need to at least either know or have a bit of signaling that those those behaviors are going to shift. And how, most important, how, how do we create more valuable for those customers by removing their frustrations uh, that they have? Um, and, you know, that's the baseline, really. Um, and from there, of course, you look at the what, what potential improvements you can make, what what features you need to remove um, from it, as well as what features you could potentially recreate uh, aligned to the customer value that the product will create. And and, and most importantly, I mean, um, creating a, a, a good marketing strategy for for that product is equally as valuable as knowing what you need to do because the reality is uh, marketing is used uh, at, uh, to create more value and it's it's a, a vehicle that really will uh, let you know uh, the customers know what 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 value they they gain from a product and, and look at the incentives as well uh, what incentives you you need to create for those products um, you know promotions discounts you name it uh, free sampling and of course all that feed into monitoring you know these are the key parameters how do you monitor them what, what do we know it's working what do we know it's not working and again repeat the same you know experiment uh, as you said earlier on Ben experimentation is it's a it's a risk for a lot of businesses and companies but without it and without really having that uh, embedded into their into their cadences I just fear that not many companies will resist uh, what's coming um, and may not be, you know, um, there in that position that they are now for too too long. And that's really what is at stake here, guys. Let's be frank. Big companies, tech companies, have have had their market on their on their hands, but somehow they're today they are they're legacy companies. So that's true to say to. Any company out there who produces products, um, that is that is what what could be awaiting for them. Unfortunately, you know, unless they pay attention to where attention needs to, um, I think that's that's how I I really see things things going, and and that's how you you have to look at um, not only de-risking everything, but you also got to take bold uh, moves and 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 and, and effectively build a product company. Um, because that will propel you to the next level up and you will be ahead of the, uh, the market, you know, you, you, you're close competitive, uh, uh, players as well. So I, th- I think that, that is just to wrap up that, you know, my thread of thought on this. Definitely. And I know we're coming to the end of the hour. Uh, just one thought, um, that I had while, uh, you were talking about the, the company moving to the next level. I think it's also important to make sure that your product portfolio aligns where you're going as a company and what is your opportunity cost uh, in relation to continuing investing in the product. And if there is a product that it may be a good performer or a decent performer, but it can actually be swapped uh, for something that aligns more with um, uh, the company direction and the company strategy, it may be worth considering uh, stopping investing into something uh, that may co- become outdated in three to five years time and start investing into something 
that is on the rise and will co become um, a cash cow in five to seven years time. So those are also like big strategic trade-offs that sometimes come with a product portfolio. Yeah, absolutely, Maria. Um, well said. <laughs> right, we have come to the end of the time. Now we could talk for ages about this. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message to. I am Mashin Walsh, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email at mashin.walsh at evolutionjobs.co.uk or visit us at evolutionjobs.com. Thanks again to all our guests, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.